Welcome back, everybody. Uh, today is Wednesday, October 14, moving towards the end of the year. This is Sutta Nipata 52, and I may take a break. It is really uh, enormous to have 52 episodes on a single playlist. Uh, I may take a break after the next Sutta, which is the last of the third chapter Mahavaga of Sutta Nipata, so of the, I think, 71 suttas of Sutta Nipata, um, I may take a break and go to selected topics um, after the next sutta, uh, which is called Vaya, Divaya Tanu Pasana Sutta, Noble One's Happiness. But today, second to last sutta of Sutta Nipata Mahavaga chapter is called Nalaka. Um, which was two nalaka. Tanasaro's write-up says, a sutta in two parts. The first part gives an account of events soon after the birth of the Bodhisattva, meaning the Buddha-to-be. Um, Gautama is commonly in the Pali canon uh, called the Bodhisattva uh, in all of the reference to his pre-awakening experience. And so the original meaning of Bodhisattva before the Mahayana sort of made it a major uh, principle, is um, enlightenment-bound being. Bodhi, meaning awakening. Uh, sattva means being. Uh, there are many translations for all these words, but enlightenment-bound being, or the being not yet enlightened, but on the way. And so first part of the sutta is a description of um, his birth, uh, and it's very uh, hagiographical or very flowery and um, very uh, sort of like uh, the whole universe cheering and uh, throwing flowers. The second part, Tanasaro says, describes the way of the sage. And there's some very interesting matters actually in this sutta. <clears throat> well, the first part to me doesn't is not that interesting because it's basically praising the Buddha and the whole universe, bowing and cheering and uh, celebrating. Okay, um, it is a big deal when Buddhas come to a third density planet, actually. I don't think they come to other higher dimensional groups, but I think it, it does happen on worlds that during 3D cycles uh, on many worlds, a being comes in that we would call a Buddha, who is a way shower, a fully awakened, a one who achieves full awakening, to the end of the octave in that current lifetime and then offers this kind of system. Um, and the Buddhist system, like I said, is totally path-centered. And really, I said, uh, I, I, I said to somebody in a session, it's really, to me, singular among all human religions and spiritual traditions and indigenous traditions, you know, native people's traditions, in that Buddhism... Um, uh, very consciously, <laughs> very deliberately, um, very plainly, uh, focuses on the current, uh, on a, a spiritual analysis of the current condition and the path to complete liberation um, in a very methodical, systematic way. It's totally path-centered. It's totally focused on there's a problem, the Four Noble Truths. There's a problem called Dukkha. It has causes, particularly craving and ignorance and conceit and clinging and uh, all sorts of uh, desires and habits that lead us to be reborn, that experiences continual dukkha, which doesn't necessarily mean suffering, but stress. So there's a problem called dukkha. We're all facing it. There's a salute, there's a cause to the problem, and it's called tanha, craving, and upadana, clinging, and the three unwholesome roots or three poisons and basic desire, basic ignorance and conceit, uh, the higher fetters, 10 and 8, 10, 9, 8. And then, third noble truth, there is actually a way out uh, or a goal of freedom from all this dukkha, uh, which is nirvana or the end of all becoming and thirst and craving. And there's a way to that um, final liberation. And that's it. And talking about gods and talking about cosmology and talking intricately about karma is um, lesser value. And I think that, yeah, Buddhas do come into worlds, uh, 3D planets, or beings that 
are way showers and focus exclusively on revealing or explaining the current condition of, of unsatisfactoriness to all unenlightened experiencing, to all moment of life, even though there's happiness and joy and, and love and all sorts of things that we enjoy. Despite all that, there is um, <clears throat> there is a problem here, and it has a cause, and there's a solution, and it has a cause or a way to that solution. That's a rare thing. So this sutta in the first half uh, goes on with the flowery praise to Gautama's birth. In the second, though, uh, talks about something called patipada. Patipada is sort of the way of the path. The pati pada. Pada is also like maga or path. Um, even yana, mahayana, vajrayana, vehicle, but also can be translated as path. Maga, uh, also translated, uh, also in Sanskrit as marg in India, all over the place. Every city and town has streets called something something marg, M A R G or M A R G A, marga, maga. Uh, there's actually a religion or a sect or a cult in India called Anandamarg, meaning bliss path, uh, which is uh, quite a controversial group. But Marg as Marga, as Maga, as Pada, Patipada. And, and there's an extensive explanation of the path, actually. But it's the path for those who are ready to complete evolution in this lifetime. So the uh, small link that I didn't send you is um, wisdomlibrary.org, wisdomlib.org page on the Nalaka Sutta. Very brief comment um, saying, preached seven days after the first sermon. So this is a, this Nalaka Sutta was from the one of the earliest times of Gautama's teaching after awakening. Preached seven days after the first sermon, which is the Dhammachaka, Papatana, I think, the wheel turning, talking about the Four Noble Truths, preached to Nalaka, nephew of Asita, who was one of Gautama's teachers. This sutta itself is a discourse, actually, uh, yeah, go on. The sutta itself is a discourse on the state of a recluse, Moneya Patipada, Moneya, like money, Moneya Patipada, the way of the path of the recluse, going on. But there are 20 introductory verses giving the story of Asita and Nalaka. Okay. Now, Nalaka, in the Wisdom Library page, the first link I think I gave you there, or, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, saying, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a chopped up writing. It said, the world at once and became an ascetic and hold himself in readiness. Uh, Nalaka was a nephew, I believe, of Asita, who was a sage. And so Nalaka, from what I can construct from this chopped up explanation, uh, left the world, became a homeless mendicant uh, a yogi, uh, as an ascetic, kept himself ready for the birth of a Buddha, and basically stayed in the uh, Himava, or Himalayas, until Gautama came of age and became awakened and gave early teaching. And then he approached the Buddha and came down from the mountains. So it said, this Nalaka did, <clears throat> meaning holding himself in readiness um, for Gautama's teaching when he came of age. This Nalaka did, though possessing 80,000 crores of wealth, he spent his time in Himava, Himawa, Himalayas, when the time came, he visited the Buddha seven days after the Buddha's first sermon <clears throat> and questioned him on Moneya Patipada, meaning uh, the path of the recluse. Nalaka retired once more into Himava and there attained Arahantship. There he spent seven months leaning against a golden rock, practicing Patipada in its highest form, the um, ascetic path, actually. After his death, the Buddha, with his monks, visited the scene of his death up in the mountains, I guess, and went north. Cremated his remains and had a titia built over them, meaning a kind of a memorial stupa, small one. <clears throat> and 
So for Gautama, this was an important person in the sense that he, re he respected uh, Nalaka, who was so committed to the path that he basically put himself into seclusion years before Gautama came of age, for, for decades. He was, uh, presumably, from the story, in the Himalayas waiting for Gautama to speak uh, after his awakening. And this is not so different than, I think, the majority of the uh, people, the yogis, the Brahmins, many, mainly, around Gautama, who, hearing his teaching, quickly became Arahant. Uh, they came, they were born for hearing that teaching. They were born uh, deliberately, I believe, uh, and I, I imagine they're all late Sixth Density Wanderers, or late Fifth and Sixth Density Wanderers. Knowing a Buddha would be born in the world, they waited until that, his birth, and they incarnated, they planned to be born at a certain time where they would be adults, you know, uh, of a certain age, to benefit by Gautama's teaching when he came of age and started teaching. So this is a case, um, Nalaka may be um, a very clear example in that he waited in the Himalayas, Likewise, many of those that became Arahans waited in higher densities until the right time, but they had to be born, uh, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years before Gautama came of age to speak, to teach. Very interesting. And so, okay, so this is a teaching to Nalaka. It's Nalaka, Nalaka. Um, who um, was very deliberately waiting for Gautama to begin teaching. Now we have the write-up of the term Patipada, and uh, this term um, has literal meaning and then applications to our own... There's a big airplane outside and applications to understanding uh, the phases of our own learning in a single incarnation. While uh, Patipada was given as four types of path to awakening, we can also say that there are four types of um, life experiences we have in a single incarnation uh, in terms of spiritual learning or learning and growing that we may alternately experience. So let me explain uh, from Wisdom Library, Patipada as road or path or way, right? Like Taoist, the way, Tao as way. Um, the great matter, <laughs> the purpose of life is to, like Ross said, the purpose of incarnation is evolution of mind, body, spirit. That evolution of what we are or the vehicles, actually, of the one that uses the vehicles, the vehicles of body, mind, and spirit and energy fields, these are vehicles, actually. That's not I. They're the clothing of the Logos. Uh, the Logos is the one wanderer in all the octaves. <laughs> uh, meaning the true, you know, there's only one of us here from uh, conversations with God. Um, the law of one. The law of one means that I is the Logos. But I is not the conscious mind or this body or this personality, not uh, only uh, all that is the apparent sense of self and not even higher self or more than the whole of uh, the beingness in the octave uh, all beings in the octave is the one infinite creator um, at various levels of awakening so road, pathway, patipada uh, the, this term majima Patipada called Middle Way, taught by the Buddha, and the Buddhist path, Buddha Dhamma path itself is a whole Majima Patipada, Majima uh, as middle, middle between uh, grasping and aversion, middle between eternalism and nihilism, uh, between uh, affirmation and negation. <laughs> All these are very heavy matters, actually. In between the in between polarity, moving out of polarity, in a sort of non-polarized. Now, in the raw material, everything's about polarity: positive path polarization, negative path polarization. 
yes, you can say that this is movement on the positive path and it's increasing polarization. And it also was framed deliberately by Gautama as a Majima Patipata, a middle way. Intellectually, it's between affirmation and negation, meaning not getting stuck in either there is or there isn't, or uh, there is a self, there is no self, which is also called eternalism or nihilism. There is, no, there isn't. Buddhism uh, splits between those two and says... Um, the critical view <laughs> is that whatever arises passes away and uh, there is reincarnation of, of a beingness or something, what we are, and karmic consequentiality and dukkha <laughs> and an escape from dukkha and if you want to be free of it, here's the way or um, the, the principles of the way. So the whole of the Buddhist path could be called a Manjima Patipada path of practice described in the fourth noble truth, okay, the, the way to nirvana. Uh, but particular, <clears throat> um, the second note here, uh, patipada as progress, um, and we'll see this in the sutta down the line, there are four modes of progress to deliverance, and this is what I mean by four qualities of life stages. One, painful progress with slow comprehension. Two, Painful progress with quick comprehension. Three, pleasant progress with slow comprehension. And four, pleasant progress with quick comprehension. Aha. Uh -huh. And there'll be a page from uh, Tanisaro's write-up called Wings to Awakening, one of the latter links that I'll look into after we go through the sutta. To explain these, there's an initial explanation here of these four types, four modes of progress to deliverance or freedom from dukkha or freedom from the octave, four modes, four ways of development, four um, major qualities to our experience on the life path, on during an incarnation, um, as our life path proceeds as our path through life proceeds, which is the path of self-transformation or seven-chakra transformation, the path to the end of the way, the end to the goal, four major qualities. So one, and this is, the, this is the distinction between pain and pleasant and slow and fast. So pain or pleasant experience and slow and or fast awakening meaning development. One, some person possesses by nature. So when we're talking about slower, painful, uh, painful and when we're talking about the quality, the, the um, let's say, emotional quality of the learning experience and when we're talking about the speed or rapidity of the awakening, it all depends on the person, <laughs> of course and their qualities. Of course, it's also about the environment and karmic returns and things like that. So one, some person possesses by nature excessive greed, excessive hate, excessive delusion, right? The three poisons or unwholesome roots, grasping, aversion, ignorance, desire, aversion, ignorance, or confusion. So possesses by nature excessive greed or desire, hate or aversion, delusion or confusion and befuddlement, and thereby he often feels pain and sorrow. Also, the five mental faculties, which we went over before, indriya, pancha indriya, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. So faith is the basis of believing I can indeed transform from pain to uh, peace. Energy is how much we put into it. Mindfulness is attentiveness to the present moment and um, being able to let go so that change can occur. Concentration as one-pointedness, which is really how quiet the mind is and we can determine what's important and less important. We can analyze deeply by holding, you know, holding the mind steady in the light, Bailey said. Steady, silence of mind in a steady state, raw. Uh, concentration is critical. And then wisdom, which in this case also means insight, and awakening to expanded awareness insights, 
or recognitions associated with expanded awareness. Expanded, basically, expansion of <laughs> consciousness. So the five mental faculties that determine um, how quick or slow or sl the speed or rapidity of awakening, the, the speed of awakening depends on these faculties. And that these are the sort of distillations of essential qualities for the path in one formulation. <laughs> one of the Buddhist formulations or one of the lists. We went over this long ago. Pancha Indriya, faith energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Uh, so when they are dull, then the person reaches only slowly the immediacy on antara, on, on antaraya, uh, only slowly reaches uh, cessation of uh, cankers, meaning uh, gets beyond their blockages. So in the first case, we have the worst. <laughs> Painful progress and slow uh, awakening and that's based the, the the pain is because of the strength of desire and hate loathing aggression and ignorance or mental befuddlement when those are strong the the progress is painful when they're weak it's less painful and so thereby feels pain and sorrow because we're just we have just too much uh, anger, hatred, uh, irritation, irritability, frustration, uh, and desire, uh, longing, hunger, neediness, uh, wanting, wanting, rather than being able to put some aside and focus on what's critical and less, and then very strong ignorance, delusion, befuddlement, mental uh, lack of concentration, really. Uh, the stronger those three, the stronger the pain and sorrow, and that's the painful progress with slow comprehension, and it's slow because these faculties are weak. Then we have uh, painful progress with quick comprehension, and again the three unwholesome roots, grasping, aversion, ignorance, longing, hunger, uh, loathing, frustration, irritability, irritation, and then mental befuddlement or confogged, fogged mind is strong, thus painful, but the mental faculties are sharp, and therefore there's a fast awakening. Then, on the other two, we have the person who progresses without that much pain. It's pleasantly progress, uh, you know, progressing in the temp in the in the palace rather than in the gutter. Uh, and that's because the person doesn't have, by nature, this excessive um, desire, hunger. Uh, anger, aversion, frustration, and befuddlement, foggy mind. But if their faculties are dull, the awakening is still slow. And if the faculties are sharp, the awakening is fast. And so we can find that in different times of life as well. Uh, when we're caught by very strong desire and then grief or sorrow at loss, when we're caught by very strong irritability, frustration, impatience, anger, at self or other or life, uh, progress is painful. When those are weak, pain, progress is not so painful. And then the speed of awakening or clarity or development of, of view and, and comprehension of self and reality and path and breakthroughs, they're fast when those five faculties are strong and they're slow when they're weak. And so this very deep teaching, you know, Buddhism um, categorized and classified a whole lot, many, many aspects of the path and of the development of right view and the way out of um, uh, lack of virtue to virtue, many, many uh, subset aspects of um, evolution of mind-body-spirit <laughs> have been categorized in Pali-Buddhism, and that's where you get this Buddha's book of lists and all these lists, they're really quite useful when we are looking deeper. And you know, it, uh, the, the one who is more clear has greater quietude of mind and concentration capacity, meaning they can, there's a quiet mind that can concentrate steadily and deeply and then look more more deeply into what is, 
what's in front of me or the object of the consideration or any topic or any matter and see uh, more subtle contours that a, that a less concentrated mind couldn't see. And, and it's very hard to have a concentrated mind when, we're, when there are lots of people around us. And it's very hard to move from um, foggy to clear without concentration. And so concentration um, generally requires solitude uh, or some kind of work and activity where one needs to concentrate. Uh, and the quality of concentration very much depends on energy uh, as well as um, the desire to uh, get to that concentrated state. So anyway, um, progress, painful or pleasant, depending on the strength of one's um, harmful habits or and tendencies in mind. And then progress of comprehension or the speed of awakening and getting clear, depending on these five faculties. Okay. Now, let's see the time. All right. So let me read. Oh, one, one other thing. Um, Asita, Asita who was the uncle of Nalaka, who came to get this teaching uh, from the Wisdom Library write-up of him. Uh, he was a sage and chaplain of Sihahanu, father of Suddhodana. I believe Suddhodana is Gautama's father. So he was a chaplain, not a, quite a chaplain, he was the priest advising the father, Buddha's grandfather or Buddha's yeah Buddha's grandfather and so he was from the older he was an elder to Gautama's father uh, and it said uh, and he then became a teacher of uh, his king's son Suddhodana father of Gautama so we've got Gautama Suddhodana and Suddhodana's father uh, Asita Asita was from the father's father days, then taught uh, the, the king's son, Suddhodana, and then uh, was present at the birth of Gautama, uh, but didn't actually live to get his teachings directly. And so it's a little sad, because he knew <laughs> that Gautama would be a Buddha, but he knew he couldn't live long enough for Gautama to, you know, the boy, Prince Siddhartha, to begin his teaching. So he was the teacher of Suddhodana, Gautama's father. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure of all this, but I think it is clear. Uh, he came morning and evening to see the king, meaning Suddhodana, Gautama's father, who showed him great respect as he had while yet his pupil. We're told this is a characteristic of Sakyan kings. Okay, Gautama was a Sakyan prince. Sakya was uh, the the clan of northern India to which Gautama was born. With the king's leave, Asita renounced the world and lived in the king's pleasance. I think that means mm, presence. In due course, he developed various siddhi, iddi powers, meaning magical powers. Thenceforth, he would often spend his day in the deva worlds. <laughs> this is commonly what people do who uh, don't have much of a demanding day job and have the city of conscious astral projection or projecting on astral. Once, while in Tavatimsa, one of the heavens, I think, I'm not sure if it's the heaven of the 33, but one of them, he saw the whole city decked with splendor and the gods, the devas, engaged in great rejoicing. Maybe this is 4D positive, 5D positive? Probably 4. On inquiry, he learned that Siddhartha, Siddhartha Gautama, destined to become the Buddha, had been born. So, while he's hanging out in one of the heaven worlds, it could have been, you know, upper Kamaloka, could have been somewhere in Rupaloka. And the devas there, the beings there, knew a Buddha was coming to earth and rejoiced, which I think they would do um, if they care. It seems that a lot of ET groups, fourth, fifth, fifth, fourth, fifth, fourth and fifth density, don't seem to care about Buddhism which is reasonable because they just want to uh, learn their own way. It's like 2150, right? Uh, if you go to them teaching Buddha Dhamma, they probably don't want it because they like what they've got. 
and they're evolving uh, at their own pace. It's not the fastest path available, and that's just fine. Uh, but then there are also <laughs> groups of beings in upper astral and Rupaloka that would that are very happy to receive instruction from uh, a Buddha entering a 3D planet. So uh, he learned that Siddhartha Gautama was destined to become the Buddha and had been born. Then he went to Suddhodana's home, uh, the king's palace, and asked to see the babe, the baby. From the auspicious marks on its body, he knew that it would become the enlightened one and was greatly overjoyed. But realizing that he himself would by then be born in an Arupa world, meaning Arupa Loka, meaning a formless world, meaning what? Upper six and seven density, because he had spent so much time in the higher jhanas, the formless trances in meditation. Then he's reborn in Arupa Loka. And therefore would not be able to hear the Buddha preach, he wept and was sad. <laughs> so there's a problem when one has too much development. Uh, one misses out on things going on in lower lower domains. Having reassured the king regarding the, the baby's future, Asita sought his sister's son, Nalaka. And so it's his sister's son, his nephew, Nalaka, and ordained him that he might be ready to benefit by the Buddha's teaching when the time came. Later, Asita was born in the Arupa world and totally dissociated. And so... Uh, in the formless worlds, you've got the four four planes associated with the four uh, higher jhanas or trances. Um, perception of the infinity of space, infinity of consciousness, nothingness, and neither perception nor non-perception. And so it's said that one actually can't achieve complete and perfect enlightenment from there the formless realms that has to go to the higher levels of Rupa Loka to pop out or come back to third density and uh, do it here in the body. But uh, it's just interesting. <laughs> so he wasn't one of Gautama's teachers exactly. He was just uh, not one of the four that Gautama went to later. Uh, he was his Gautama's father's minister or teacher because of his grandfather's minister, uh, priest, priestly, you know, head priest, in a sense, of the of the temple, or of the palace, of the king's place. And, unfortunately, couldn't be <laughs> available for Gautama's birth and teaching, or not, he was there for the birth, but not for the um, teaching phase. But he uh, ordained his nephew, and that's Nalaka, of Nalaka Sutta. It, and that's the story of Asita, Asita. And that's very interesting. So, <laughs> with all that said, let's get into Nalaka Sutta. And this is from Tanasaro Bhikkhu's translation, 1998, to Nalaka. It starts, Asita the seer, in his midday meditation saw the devas of the group of thirty, exultant, ecstatic, dressed in pure white, honoring Indra, holding up banners, cheering wildly, and on seeing the devas so happy and joyful, having paid his respects, he said, meaning he left the body and went up to their dimension, <coughs> why is the deva community so wildly elated? Why are they holding up banners and waving them around? Even after the war with the Asuras, meaning negative ETs, when victory was the Devas, the Asuras defeated, meaning the bad guys, <laughs> lost, even then there was no excitement like this. Seeing what marvel are the Devas so joyful? They shout, they sing, play music, clap their hands and dance. So I ask you who live on Mount Meru's summit, please dispel my doubt quickly, dear sirs. Quote, this is what he was told. The, Buddhist, the Bodhisattva, the foremost jewel unequaled, has been born for the welfare and ease in the human world. In a town in the Sakyan countryside, Lumbini, place of Buddha's birth. That's why we're all so wildly elated. He, the highest of all beings, the ultimate person, a bull among men, foremost of all people, 
will set turning the wheel of Dhamma, meaning Dhamma Chaka. In its Dhamma Chaka Pavatana. In the grove named after the seers, like a strong roaring lion, the conqueror of beasts. Hearing these words, Asita quickly descended from that dimension and went to Sudadana's dwelling, um, meaning the father, father of Gautama. There, taking a seat, he said to the Sakyans, Where is the prince? I too want to see him. The Sakyans then showed to the seer named Asita their son, the prince, like gold aglow, burnished by a most skillful smith in the mouth of a furnace, blazing with glory, flawless in color, on seeing the prince blazing like flame, pure like the bull of the stars going across the sky, the burning sun, released from the clouds of autumn, he was exultant, filled with abundant rapture. The devas held in the sky a many-spoked sunshade of a thousand circles, gold-handled whisks waved up and down, but those holding the whisks and the sunshade couldn't be seen, because they're on another dimension. The matter-haired seer named Dark Splendor, this is actually Asita, seeing the boy, like an ornament of gold on the red woolen blanket, a white sunshade held over his head, received him happy and pleased, and on receiving the bull of the Sakyans longingly, the master of mantras and signs exclaimed with a confident mind, this is Asita talking, this one is unsurpassed, the highest of the biped race, human walking on two feet. Then, foreseeing his own imminent departure, he was about to leave the physical, he, dejected, shed tears. On seeing him weeping, the Sakyans asked, But surely there will be no danger for the prince? On seeing the Sakyans' concern, he replied, I foresee for the prince no harm nor will there be any danger for him. This one isn't lowly, be assured. This prince will touch the ultimate self-awakening. And so, <laughs> nirvana, the end, is self-achieved, self-awakening. He, seeing the utmost purity, will set rolling the dhamma-chaka, dhamma-wheel, through sympathy for the welfare of many. His holy life will be spread far and wide, but as for me... My life here has no long remainder. My death will take place before then. I won't get to hear the Dhamma of this one with the peerless role. That's why I'm stricken, afflicted, and pained. End quote. He, having brought the Sakyans abundant rapture, the follower of the holy life, left the inner chamber and, out of sympathy for his nephew, urged him on toward the Dhamma of the one with the peerless role, meaning encouraging his nephew, Nalaka, to prepare for this baby who will become a Buddha, teaching. Quote, when you hear from another the word, awakened one, buddhi, or attaining self-awakening, he lays open the path of the Dhamma. Go there and ask him yourself. Follow the holy life under that blessed one, meaning the baby Siddhartha, when he grows up, becomes a Buddha and starts teaching. Instructed by the one whose mind was set on his benefit, such seeing in the such, <laughs> maybe <clears throat> reality, seeing in the future the utmost purity, Nalaka, who had laid up a store of merit, indeed, awaited the victor expectantly, guarding his senses, critical for the, path, for the, the high gradient path, on hearing the word of the victor's turning of the foremost wheel, Buddha Gautama starting to preach, he went, he saw the bull among seers, meaning he came down from Himava and uh, probably nearby Sarnat, where Gautama was, gave the first teaching, the glorious Sarnat. Confident, he asked the foremost sage about the highest sagacity, now that Asita's forecast had come to pass. And this, this phrase, the utmost state of sagacity, the highest wisdom, you can see, you, you can't really, you, you can ask about what is, you know, what's the ultimate state or what's the ultimate awakening or wisdom. Just hearing it, um, it doesn't necessarily do self 
perfection or, or total transformation. But for those who are ready, they will use it as a catalyst to um, finishing the path. So Nalaka approaching Gautama says, Now that I know Asita's words, his uncle, to be true, I ask you, Gautama, you, have, you who have gone beyond or gone to the beyond of all things, the all, beyond the all, I am intent on the homeless life. I long for the alms round. Tell me, sage, when I ask you the utmost state of sagacity. And here Gautama speaks, and this is the heart of Nalanda Sutta, given a week after he began teaching. And it's basically the principles of you know, Moneya Patipada, the, say, the recluse path, the faster path, the, the path of the one who seeks complete perfect awakening in this very lifetime um, and is ready to give everything up uh, on uh, everything up for that goal. So Gautama says, I'll explain to you a sagacity or wisdom hard to do, hard to endure. Come now, I'll tell you. Be steadfast, be firm, practice even-mindedness, for in a village there's praise and blame. Ward off any flaw in the heart. Go about calmed and not haughty. High and low things will come up like wild or fire flames in a forest. Women seduce a sage, may they not seduce you. Abstaining from sexual intercourse, abandoning various sensual pleasures, be unopposed, unattached to beings moving and still. As I am, so are these. As are these, so am I. Drawing the parallel to yourself, neither kill nor get others to kill. Abandoning the wants and greed where people run of the mill are stuck. Practice with vision. Cross over this hell. Stomach not full. Moderate in food, having few wants, being not greedy, always not hankering after desire. One without hankering is one who's unbound. Having gone on his alms round, the sage should then go to the forest, standing or taking a seat at the foot of a tree. The enlightened one, intent on jana, the higher trances, should find delight in the forest should practice jhana at the foot of a tree, attaining his own satisfaction. Then, at the end of the night, he should go to the village, meaning early morning, not delighting in an invitation or gift from the village. Having gone to the village, the sage should not carelessly go among families. Cutting off chatter, he shouldn't utter a scheming word, I've got something that's fine, I've got nothing that's good, meaning criticizing the alms that he is receiving. Being such, with regard to both, he returns to the very same tree, meaning not criticizing the villagers, nor what they give him or don't give him, or what he gets. Wandering with his bowl in hand, not dumb, but seemingly dumb. He shouldn't despise a piddling gift, a little one, nor disparage the giver. Don't be a criticizer of uh, small gifts. High and low are the practices proclaimed by the contemplative. They don't go twice to the further shore. This unbinding isn't sensed only once. I'll explain that. It's a difficult paragraph there. In one who has no attachment, the monk who has cut the stream, abandoning what is found and isn't a duty, no fever is found. I'll explain to you sagacity, which was his direct question, meaning wisdom, or the wisdom of awakening, or the awakening of total wisdom. Be like a razor's edge. And that's probably where they got the movie title from, actually. I'll explain to you sagacity. Be like a razor's edge, spoken by Gautama 2,500 years ago. Pressing tongue against palate. That's the proper tongue position during meditation. Restrain your stomach. Neither be lazy in mind, nor have many thoughts. Be committed to taintlessness, independent, leaving or having the holy life as your aim. Train in solitude, 
and the contemplative's task. Solitude is called sagacity. Mm. Alone, you truly delight and shine in the ten directions. On hearing the fame of the enlightened, those who practice jhana, relinquishing sensual pleasures, my disciples should foster all the more conviction and conscience. Know from the rivers in clefts and crevices, those in small channels flow noisily, the great flow silent. Whatever is not full makes noise, whatever is full is quiet. The fool is like a half-empty pot, one who is wise a full lake. A contemplative who speaks a great deal, endowed with meaning, knowing he teaches the Dhamma, knowing he speaks a great deal. But he who, knowing, is restrained, knowing, doesn't speak a great deal. He is a sage, worthy of sagehood. He is a sage, his sagehood attained. So there are a lot of very interesting teachings in the second half of the sutta. Um, and let's see what the time looks like. We will definitely go on with this next week. Well, maybe not definitely. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so Gautama explaining what is sagacity. Uh, and again, Gautama gave lots and lots of teachings over many years and explained aspects of the path in multiple ways and multiple aspects of the path to many of varying capacities. And so this teaching... Um, number one is very high level in terms of the, the standard of uh, renunciation set, the um, lifestyle that's being recommended or proscribed here uh, for Nalaka, son of a great sage uh, minister to you know Gautama's grandfather. So uh, Nalaka had a lot of good karma and he attained an arahant in this lifetime actually. And so we're talking about um, a high gradient path, a steep path up the mountainside, or a steep path of um, training. That's why Gautama calls it hard to do, hard to endure. Be steadfast, be firm, be solid <laughs> in your commitment to doing whatever it takes. And then it doesn't matter if it feels painful. One who's ready for this um, most effective but bitter medicine, bitter but also most uh, directly targeted to complete perfect attainment now in this lifetime. Uh, only those who are really, um, truly, sincerely finished with, with <laughs> sub-six-dimensional desires, desires, uh, dualistic <laughs> relational desiring, or the, the desires of Kamaloka and Rupaloka, <laughs> All of them. The desire for heaven, the desire for sensual pleasure on earth, the desire for bliss, actually, the desire uh, to be destroyed or um, evaporated into nothingness, uh, any kind of uh, delighting, any kind of self-centeredness, um, any kind of, of views holding, views attachment, let's say. Views are fine so long as one's not attached to concept or realizes the, the deficiency in concept, uh, free of any form of clinging uh, uh, in the body of, of bodily activity, of social, of relationship, of love, of union, of partnership, yeah. Even six-density partnership would be abandoned by those who seek to leave the octave. So this is pretty, you know... <laughs> maximal uh, gradient. This is like uh, this, this, the vertical rock face. Uh, be steadfast, be firm, practice even-mindedness. Um, and that's again, Majima Patipada, middle path. Um, for in a village there's praise and abuse. <laughs> in relationship, in, the, in relationality, in the whole way of um, interpersonal relationship. There's praise and abuse, which um, are simply um, potential triggers uh, for people getting attachment. You know, one can 
bear with praise and abuse, or one can take them rightly without getting all disturbed. Um, one shouldn't pretend one's not disturbed when one is disturbed. If one's disturbed, one should honestly acknowledge I'm disturbed. I'm elated by your praise, and I'm downcast by your abuse. Actually, I make myself elated, and I make myself downtrodden when I hear your praise and abuse. Your abuse doesn't take me down. Your praise doesn't take me up. I take myself up, and I have attachments to it. I take myself down, and I have attachments to it, meaning I have aversion, uh, attachment... <laughs> Uh, a kind of um, uh, upadana clinging aversion to abuse and a kind of upadana clinging desire for praise. That's the problem with praise and abuse is that they uh, commonly trigger <laughs> clinging, uh, grasping and aversion-based responses. And even then one could uh, move out of attachment to those distorted responses. I love your praise, I hate your abuse. Or uh, I feel puffed up with praise and I feel downtrodden or grievous with abuse. Uh, those are distorted responses, uh, but one can also have some detachment, right? Back to Vairagya, Nityananda's one of his core teachings. A mindfulness of my distorted responses to praise and abuse. <laughs> so praise and abuse is not the problem it's the distorted responses or clinging type responses of grasping and aversion to praise and abuse and then oh, people stay stuck the, the distorted response indicates uh, underlying clinging to attachment to praise and uh, disdain or hatred of abuse which is pretty reasonable but it's when we can't, when we get carried away by distorted responses, that's the problem. Um, Non-mindfulness, <laughs> lack of mindfulness of my distorted response of um, grasping on your praise and hating your abuse, or hating myself with your abuse, hating you or hating me. When we're not mindful, mindfulness itself is a real vairagya, you know, sati is vairagya. Uh, samasati, right? Mindfulness is vairagya. And it's heart chakra. It's green ray. It's love. Green ray is unconditional accepting, non-control, non-manipulation. So sati is um, uh, sati is prem, baby. Sati is prem. Pema, right? Pema, prema, pem, prem, meaning love or heart. Um, sati is green ray or uh, we can say that Anahata Chakra, Anahata Chakra, fourth chakra, is the way of Sati, of Samasati, for those who like uh, other languages' terms. And so, some meeting meeting our distorted responses with unconditional acceptance is neither grasping nor aversion, is neither um, getting attached to our elation at praise or our uh, titillation at being praised, nor attached to our anger, aversion, or downcast discouragement at hearing abuse. <laughs> so distortion's not the problem. It's uh, clinging to the distortion that arises rather than having mindfulness detachment to be with it and not make a big deal out of it. Okay, I feel up. Okay, I feel down. Thanks for your praise. Thanks for your abuse. <laughs> I mean, the abuser is a real fool, actually. So, you can be a fool. Um, it doesn't really bother me. And uh, I also know that I'm, I don't need to hold on to my, what, aversion and discouragement at hearing abuse. And, and I mean, in general, whenever there's abuse, as a side note, uh, I, I think it's very important to look into how true is what you're saying. If you're saying you are, you know, he is, somebody says, you are X, Y, and Z. I would want to see clearly for myself to what degree indeed am I X, Y, and Z? To what degree is there truth in your blame, abuse, accusation, or whatever it is? Where's the truth? Is there truth there? If there's truth there, I can agree with, what, with the substance of what you're saying. 
even though you're a foolish abuser or you're an abusive fool. Even if you're an abusive fool, some of what you say may be true and I want to know it. That doesn't mean I'll, I'll uh, say anything to you. But knowing for myself what portion of a criticism or blame or abuse may be true, that's good to do. That's really great, I think, to um, discern the truth in a, a foolish abuser's abuse or abusive fool's speech. It's good to know. And then we know, okay, <laughs> whatever. Some part of it is true and I agree. And the other part is not true and you're mistaken. Uh, but I also may not feel any <laughs> need to say anything to you because uh, you're beyond, beyond, uh, beyond help at this point. So, but indeed in the village, in the social life, in relationality, there's praise and abuse. Ward off any flaw in the heart. Uh, let it go. Don't get stuck on your distortions, particularly. Go about calmed and not haughty. Um, uh, don't be arrogant. High and low things will come up like fire flames in a forest. And that's, you know, getting out of the social life or the relational life or the village life um, and solitude, moving to solitude. Not that everyone in solitude is a sage, obviously. Not that solitude is some guarantee of enlightenment, not at all. Uh, but it does remove a lot of catalyst that we may not be able to handle very well right now. And there's some value to that. Normally, it's just best to have an alternation between solitude and relationality, it seems to me. Then, of course, there's this, you know, if you're going to be, if you want complete and perfect enlightenment, you better not um, have a sex life, actually, because it, we're talking about a very radical detachment necessary. I mean, people who have not done deep meditation have very little understanding of what, how radical the detachment or the cutting of false belief and, and, and presumption needs to be in, in the end of the path. Meaning, um, any kind of substantive deep mind sense of identity <clears throat> and, and selfhood has to be dissolved and released. It, it's very hard to do that while having physical relations with anyone. Uh, this is, one has to pass through annihilatory dread. And um, it's very hard to do that, <clears throat> maintaining social relationships and uh, intimate partnerships and all that. It's just, you know, it's very hard to let it all go while you're holding certain physical relational structures. It's just not, you know, or dynamics. It's very difficult. It's, it's normally not done. So we're talking about the, the, the vertical rock face here. So abstaining from sexual intercourse and various sensual pleasures. <clears throat> and again, more, middle, more majima patipada. Be unopposed and unattached to beings moving and still. <laughs> so beings are moving and beings are still. Beings speak or don't speak. Uh, do or not do. Don't fall into attachment to opposing them nor holding on to them. <laughs> um, get beyond the, the, the ways of um, favoritism and despising. Despising and favoritism. <clears throat> get beyond attachment to opposition. Get beyond attachment to favoritism and holding, taking sides. As I am, so are these. As are these, so am I. Meaning, I'm not so different from you. And therefore, and that's another subtle matter, is that <clears throat> um, uh, by opposition, or to those we oppose, we sort of dehumanize. And to those we favor, uh, which is, you know, attachment to their side, <clears throat> we seem to elevate. <clears throat> and there's some kind of um, fostering of inequality or, um, you know, seeding another bed of attachment by all that. And this is speaking against that. Drawing the parallel to yourself, neither kill nor get others to kill. So first of Panchashila against killing. <clears throat> then abandoning the wants and greeds where people run of the mill are stuck. Practice with vision, cross over this hell. What hell? The hell of third density? 
<laughs> or the hell of Niraya Naraka. Uh, don't get stuck. I mean, in 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 all cases, it's desire run amok, um, self harming desire, desire uh, fanned to such intensity that it's self harming. That's the basis for all those beings in the lower zones or in hell. <clears throat> then the teaching on food, don't take too much. Just like Nityananda said, don't eat to capacity, eat to some lower limit of the stomach. And actually that itself is a very hard training, and uh, at least for me, as a Taurus who likes food. But um, if you want to see a real sage, look to the guy who doesn't really care much about food. He eats, he, he has no clinging to, to food. Um, there's something very potentially very detached from that one without being sickly, you know, not being a sick fellow or gal, but the one who really has a, has a true sincere indifference to food, um, has perhaps passed, um, a very important physical attachment. They're commonly not yogins, but if you see the yogin who's not attached to food, nor is he attached to study and nor is he stuck in pride. Uh, then you find someone who's real special, like Weibu Sayadaw or Ajahn Lee Damodaro. I bet these guys didn't eat much. They were very skinny. They couldn't care less. And that's really um, <laughs> quite an accomplishment, actually. So then not being greeting, having few wants, not hankering after desire. Tom Hanks, right? Hank. To hank must be to grasp and greedily desire. Not hankering after desire. Without hankering, one who's unbound, don't hank around. And so, hanking binds. Uh, non-hanking, non-hankering unbinds or associate with unbinding. And this is a critical matter that the whole of the Buddhist, the goal, the formulation of the goal in Buddhism is called unbinding. And so, all life in the octave is seen as a bound condition. Captive to... Uh, desires, aversion, and thus uh, craving that leads to continued reincarnation. It's, it is a pessimistic view, <laughs> yes, <clears throat> in that um, any so-called pleasure or well-being or so-called learning and growth and value of seven-dimensional experience is, uh, is, is considered very, very minor or um, a trifle. The, and so, this, in a way, you know, this teaching is really for beings in the second half of Sixth Density. This is not for beings who rightly want and should be going into Fourth Density. I mean, there's a lot of value to the teaching for those developing merit and staying out of hell and wandering ghosts. But the, the, this is the steep... This is the vertical rock face teaching, and only those that are most um, ardent, seeking complete and perfect liberation into eternal, <laughs> eternal bliss, nityananda, in this lifetime, um, can rightly or should rightly take this to heart and practice it. And those who um, are in that position are already doing that right now. And if you're not, as we are not, I think it's uh, reasonable to understand and accept that we're not. <laughs> it's right to accept and understand. That's not my path. I don't want the <clears throat> um, vertical rock face ascent to the end of all octavic experience in this lifetime. Fine. But there's also huge, um, a whole a, a raft of teachings, <laughs> literally, that we can make use of for continued development at our own pace in this in this kind of uh, sutta. And I guess that's where we're going to end for today. The second half of the second half of the sutta, starting at having gone on his alms round, the sage should then go to the forest, standing or taking a seat at the foot of a tree. Uh, what the sage do does uh, when they've left the village and ate their food and they're finished with all that, that's where we'll start for next week and um, conclude the sutta, absolutely. And then um, 
make these final points on the four ways of um, monea patipada, <clears throat> meaning the recluse or the, so the solitary seeker's middle path or solitary seeker's way of development. Um, slow or fast, uh, painful or pleasant. And it is very possible to move towards the setting into setting in root or seeding the causes of pleasant progress and quick comprehension and the axis of pleasure pain <clears throat> depends on the strength of the three unwholesome roots or poisons desire grasping aversion loathing of opposition and um Ignorance, delusion, basically foggy mind, befuddlement, mental, um, mental uh, obstruction as a whole. So the greater they are, the more pain. The lesser they are, the more pleasant. And then pancha indriya, the five indriya faculties. Uh, the stronger they are, um, the quicker the comprehension. The weaker they are, the slower the comprehension like that. And so, a very interesting teaching here. I hope you enjoyed it too. So that'll be it for today. Uh, please take good care of yourselves. And no matter what pain and craziness and delusion continues in the outer world, um, the path is forever. And the path is, and soul is, and... Um, we have our way forward. So, take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.